Maybe it's a classic, or maybe a flop. Has Katie seen it? She probably has not. She'll sit down and watch it if it's good or it's bad. Hey, have you seen this? No, Katie hasn't seen that. Hi, I'm Katie, and if I had a nickel for every time someone said to me, Wait, you haven't seen this movie? Oh my god, you need to see this movie. I'd be very rich. So this is my podcast, where I finally watch those movies you all have told me I need to see, and I tell you what I think. I really should have included a spoiler tag in my intro, but here we are, once again, warning you about spoilers for the movie that we're watching today, as well as other things. So there you have it. You've been warned. In my Discord, I recently hosted a poll for Community Choice. So the next four movies of Katie Hasn't Seen That were selected by the community. I have a channel in my Discord. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to join in on the conversation about your thoughts on the movies I watch, movies you want to recommend to me, all that, plus now polls that we're going to do occasionally for Community Choice. So I had a poll of like 30 plus movies and the next four episodes will feature the top four movies that won. And the first one of those movies is, drumroll please, Blade Runner. You probably already knew that because that's the title of the episode. But I am now going to be watching the original Blade Runner. Listen, we need to talk. This movie is from 1982. Y'all have to admit it now. You are addicted to making me watch 80s movies. You can't take it back. It's happened a lot now. There's been a pattern that's been established. And here I am watching yet another 80s movie that, okay, I got the, the classic page pulled up with some of the movie info. I had no idea that Harrison Ford was in this. <laughs> So that was a pleasant surprise. I grew up in the 90s and I watched a lot of Harrison Ford movies growing up, such as Air Force One. And I'm sure there were a lot of others, but mostly Air Force One. So this movie is also directed by Ridley Scott. I didn't know that. I love the Alien franchise. I still haven't seen Prometheus. Should I watch Prometheus? If you've seen that movie, tell me. I, I don't know if I should add that one. To just watch in general or do a Katie hasn't seen that on. So apparently this movie might be a dark horse. I don't know. I don't like saying that because sometimes I'm like, whoa, I'm so excited about this movie. And then I absolutely hate it. So Ridley Scott, that's pretty good for me. Harrison Ford, also pretty good for me. And it's also listed as a sci-fi action movie. And it's rated R, so you know there's going to be some violence, maybe some sexiness, maybe some bad words. You never quite know. It could be anything. And for me, that's kind of the, the perfect mix. I kind of like R-rated movies. Like, I'm okay with PG-13. I'm okay with PG and G movies. But sometimes you just need an R-rated movie. So I'm actually very excited that this is rated R. I don't actually know if a lot of the movies I've watched for this podcast have been rated R, but I think a good amount of them have. Or maybe we've had a good mix. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know a ton about this movie. And to be completely honest, I don't know anything about this movie. Apparently, it is loosely based on a Philip K. Dick novel from 1968 called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And I remember, I think... Amazon Prime did like a series that was kind of Black Mirror-esque, but felt a lot more low budget based on the works of Philip K. Dick. 
It was called Electric Dreams, and I think there's only one season of that, but I didn't make it past the first episode. So I have not seen a lot of stuff that is Philip K. Dick related, though I've heard he's some sort of god amongst sci-fi writing, so I'm looking forward to this. I believe Philip K. Dick wrote a short story called The Minority Report, which got turned into that Tom Cruise movie, which I have seen, and I actually like that movie quite a bit. So I feel like there's a little bit of hope. What do I think Blade Runner's about? I'll be honest with you. I think it's got to be cyberpunk. It just seems like that kind of movie. I imagine it's going to be kind of like a Judge Dredd situation. But what is a Blade Runner? What does that even mean? Because I don't know what this movie is about, I'm just going to throw out a scenario. Harrison Ford is a detective and he's working the mean streets of the future in New York City, where it's gritty and there's a lot of LEDs. But uh uh-oh, he's going to put on a VR suit and then go into the Blade Runner universe and solve crime. That's what I think this movie is about. I guess I'll find out what it actually is about when I watch it. I've always heard of Blade Runner, but what is Blade Runner? What is a Blade Runner? Who is Blade Runner? These are the questions I hope to get answered. All right, I'm going to go watch Blade Runner and actually find out what it's about. It is rated an 8.1 out of 10 from Internet Movie Database, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, 84% on Metacritic, and 87% of Google users liked this movie. I really like Ridley Scott. I like his gritty film style, so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing one of his older movies. And also, I just looked really quick at the cast list, and Edward James Olmos is in this from Battlestar Galactica. So I'm pretty excited to see what his part in all of these Blade Running shenanigans are. All right, I'm gonna go watch this movie. Hopefully my synopsis is pretty spot on to what the movie's about, and I will let you know what I think. I have watched Blade Runner and I have returned to tell you what I made of it. One thing we got to talk about, though, first is that this movie took place two years ago. The The year that this movie took place in was 2019, which is a little wild to think about how futuristic people thought 2019 was going to be. And then you kind of look at where we're at now and you're like, wow, we do not have flying cars And uh, that's that's, you know, I just it's always weird when you watch a a futuristic movie and the date is essentially not that far off or in the past. So that was that was a little weird. That was kind of similar when I watched 12 Monkeys. And I think there was like this huge pandemic that wiped people out in the 90s. It's just weird. Like maybe you should like throw that time frame into the the 3000s or 4000s. However, I get it. I get it. Because then in the 3000s or the 4000s, someone's going to be like, wow, they really thought we were going to be that technologically advanced by this point. Man, I wish I could live to the 4000s. How much do you think is going to change by then? Do I really want to go down this path and have an existential crisis? I'll just say I'll probably be thinking about this before I go to bed tonight. So that'll be a fun thing for me later. Blade Runner, 1982. Harrison Ford as Deckard. I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. Let's just start with the synopsis. Essentially what this movie is, this corporation made these things called replicants, which were essentially bioengineered creatures that were stronger and smarter and more resilient than humans. 
But some of them went rogue on an off-world planet, and they're essentially outlawed, they're viewed as bad, and there's this elite force of police, essentially, that gets formed called Blade Runners, and they retire, quote-unquote, replicants, and replicants are viewed as dangerous and non-human, all this jazz. So, apparently, some replicants came back to Earth, and... This retired Blade Runner, who's played by Harrison Ford, Deckard, is brought back to his old job and is like, you got to hunt down these four replicants that are free and loose on on Earth. And so Harrison Ford is then hunting these replicants to eliminate them, essentially, to retire them, which means to murder them. Okay, hopefully that made sense. I just got to say, I was mostly wrong about my, this is what I think the movie's about. It does take place in LA, though it seemed very New York. I mean, LA was like overrun, but LA looked cool. LA looked like it was hopping. There was a lot to do. I loved the futuristic style that they went for in this movie in general, but also how LA looked. Things have grown. It didn't look like weirdly outlandish or anything. I'm like, that does look like a future building. I like the way that they did. I believe they're models. I feel like I have heard that Ridley Scott loves to make little models of things and then he films them all dramatically. And I just looked it up because I want my podcast to not be a bunch of hearsay. I try really hard for the information I tell you all. I like try to look it up. Because I don't want to be one of those podcasts where it's like, I once heard through the grapevine. I looked it up. You can find an article on VFXVoice.com and it shows the miniature models that they used for Blade Runner. I've always enjoyed that because I think it always looks better than CGI. Obviously, back in the 80s, they had to be more creative. I love the mini model, okay? It looks so cool and it looks so real. And I know Ridley Scott has used this in other movies he's done. I just appreciate that because it looks realistic and it's kind of fun to think about that they were using a camera to shoot long distant shots of LA over tiny little models and I should say building models I I hope that that wasn't confusing I'm not talking about runway models here okay I never finished the show Altered Carbon but I watched like half of the season on Netflix I know that's based on a graphic novel series I felt like this movie, the city atmosphere, was very altered carbon. Obviously, it would have been more altered carbon is inspired by Blade Runner. It just, it gave me altered carbon vibes. I did love the futuristic feel of this movie. I love future anything. I want to know what our future will be like. Do we have floating cars? Tell me, do you think that the buildings will all be flat or tall? I just like seeing people's ideas of what the future looks like. So they already had me at that. I was like, I'm into it. I want to see the future world in 2019. I just ignored that piece. CGI still looked pretty good. The graphics in this movie were great. The practical effects, damn, when they got gory, they got a little bit gory. There's a a point in this movie when one of the replicants killed dad. Dad being the man who made the replicants in the corporation, Eldon Tyrell. So it's like the Tyrell Corporation that made all these replicants, manufactured them, if you will. And there's a point at the end where uh, Roy Batty, who played the blonde haired replicant, was like, I want to meet the man who made me and see if he can save me. Because this is one of the things about the replicants, their lifespan, it's like a failsafe they built in, will die in four years. And so they're reaching the end of their lifespan. And 
yeah, there, there's a point where this replicant meets dad, as I like to call him, uh, who is Eldon Tyrell, who runs the company. So like, I can't do anything for you. And then Roy just decides to, you know, you know, because when you get upset, you know, what's the first thing you think? Gotta smash dad's eyes out. So the practical effects, pretty darn good in this, very realistic. <laughs> and uh, I did think that was effective. CGI, eh, it wasn't too bad. I mean, for 1982, I think it held up pretty well. We also meet another replicant when uh, Deckard is put on the case. He goes to investigate at Tyrell Corporation and he meets someone named Rachel who doesn't know she's a replicant. They're starting this new tech where they're implanting memories into them so they don't know that they're not quote unquote real. So one thing I have to tell you is that this movie was kind of confusing at moments. It feels like they could have laid better groundwork because sometimes you're like, where the hell is Deckard now? Oh, he's at this place. So I just felt like the movie overall wasn't as confusing as, say, Dune. Oh, my God. Nothing's quite like Dune. But this movie did have more of a if you looked down at your bowl of ice cream for one second, you might miss something. And I'm totally speaking from experience. Overall, though, I understood what was happening, and I'll talk more about that later. But there's something very important that I need to talk about first. They loved their lighting in this movie, and I'm a fan of lighting. If you know me at all, I love RGB lights. I'm obsessed with glowy things. I love it so much. I know Ridley Scott is very visceral and visual, and so there was just a lot of flickering lights. But then as the movie went on, you could tell that lighting was sometimes more important in this movie than other things. Like he was like, okay, y'all, I know that this establishing shot is taking too long, but I really want to show off these lights. He's like more flickering. Make those spin a lot. Oh, we should have some different colors. I want all of the lights. And so they did that. They they really did give that to, to Ridley Scott. So if you're a fan of lights, you'll probably like this movie just because of the lighting, but also don't watch it with a migraine. I I'm going to put that disclaimer out there as well. The music was very weird synth 80s music, sometimes some weirdly erotic jazz saxophone would play. So, you know, if, if you're looking for that kind of vibe, it's got some uh, weird synth uh, cyberpunky type music with with jazz in there. There's a moment where Rachel comes over to Deckard's apartment and she's sitting down at a computer computer, <laughs> a piano and Oh my God. She like lets her hair down and it takes a really long time. And at that moment, I was like, yeah, this is the future, but it also still very 80s. And it was at that moment where I'm like, oh, this is a noir movie. And this is something about me. I don't like noir movies. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Visually, I loved how this movie looked. It felt very Ridley Scott. I made a note in here and I laughed at myself and I left it. I said it felt very Ripley Scott. And if you've ever seen Alien, you know that the main character's name is Ripley. And now I'm wondering, did Ridley Scott name Ripley's character because it's one letter different than his own name? Discuss. Speaking about 80s movies and 80s future movies, why do all the cars look like they're barely held together and made of cardboard? I always appreciate seeing how the future tech looks, but why do all the cars in future 80 movies always look like they're barely holding together. Just one pothole is just going to eviscerate this car. Like it just it's rattling. It's shaking as it's driving. And I I there's just a moment where Deckard is in his car and I'm like, 
that's going to break apart and it's just going to be a card. I mean, he's in a cardboard box, essentially. Luckily, he did not blow up in his car or rather uh, Flintstone his way through the town. Somehow it had wheels on it and it got him places. We met a lot of characters along the way, a lot of people who were instrumental in creating these replicants that were trying to find out their origin. Uh, They were called the Nexus Six and they were on their own detective mission. They were kind of going through and trying to figure out where they came from. And we meet someone along the way named Sebastian who helped work on their models. And uh, he was kind of creepy, though. Uh, Daryl Hannah's in this and she was like a pleasure model, which means I think for the sexy times. And there's a moment where Sebastian runs into her and it's just like he's really he's got the wandery eye. He never like overtly did anything, but covertly he had the wandery eye. And I don't know if they did that intentionally. He's a little creepy. He died, too, because he couldn't help save them either. There is also a moment where Deckard is doing investigation. He gets some pictures from a lead and he's sitting on the floor and he's just like enhance, enhance, enhance. To the left, enhance. To the right, enhance. Center up, enhance. And it's just like this flickering screen. I don't know if that's what all enhance scenes were inspired by, but oh my God, this movie constantly just had things that went on for way too long. There's just some shots where I'm like, they're just doing this to do this. There's no way that this movie needed to be one hour and 57 minutes long. Like he went upstairs for literally like five minutes at the end. So Deckard's just making progress, going around being this badass Blade Runner, uh, finding these replicants with his incredible Blade Running skills. So he finds one of them at a club where I think she like dances naked with a snake. (laughs) I mean, that's what I'm assuming happened. Uh, But then she like tries to escape him and her death sequence. Okay, first of all, they're running through the busy L.A. streets. I felt like Harrison Ford was purposely grabbing people and throwing them. And also just that, I don't know, it was just, it it was very interesting, that whole chase sequence. It was stressful because it was so overwhelming sensory wise, not because of what was happening. So he's chasing her and he finally catches her. And then he's just like, he's opening fire in the busy streets of L.A. And I, I kid you not. I mean, if you've seen this movie, you already know this. She like runs through four glass walls and get shot very violently. And there's just so much violence for her death, but also just almost comedic because of how many glass walls she ran through. And then she's just shot dead in the street. And then all of a sudden there's like a cleanup crew to grab her and bring her away. And then he gets into another fight with another replicant just down the street. And Rachel, the replicant he met at Tyrell Corporation, They're like kind of like they just meet and then they're all like, let's hang out, essentially. And she somehow finds him in the busy streets downtown when all of this is happening. And so he's getting into a fight with another replicant. And then she's the one that ends up shooting and killing this one. And they go back to his place. I feel like this movie was purposely disorienting. Like it just felt like they were trying to disorient you sometimes. This is also where I realized, oh, this is a noir, and I really do not like noir movies, games, anything of that genre. I don't know why. You know how you just don't like certain things? Like, I don't like gangster movies. I have a bunch of gangster movies to watch for this podcast, too, and I'm just, I'm putting them off. I'm putting them off. (laughs) They will be watched at some point. I will watch The Godfather at some point. They're hanging out, and he, like, they, like, kiss And she gets up and she's trying to leave. 
and he wouldn't let her. And I mean, Deckard and Rachel at this point. And then when he blocks her from leaving his apartment, he grabs her and holds her against the wall and tells her to say things like, like, I want you to kiss me and I want you and things like that. And it felt very weird, very pressured, very aggressive and very sexual assaulty. It was not sexy. I don't know if it was supposed to be sexy. It was not. It, it felt like it was not consensual. They barely know each other. Rachel's world has just been turned upside down by learning that she's a replicant because she thought this whole time she was a real person. I don't know. It just felt very out of place in this movie. I always have a problem in movies when I'm like, these characters just met and they're in love. Okay. And also this specific scene was not hot. This scene was, is this like kind of a rapey situation? And I don't know if I'm the only one that notices that. It did not feel good and I didn't like it. So that that probably should have been reevaluated. And I took some time to go on the internet and it's wild because some people are, I don't know, it, the discussion on this is very weird. Um, a lot of people are very staunchly, no, it's not a rape scene. You know, it's an, it's someone wrote on Reddit, it's aggressively romantic with heavy sarcasm. Blocking the door and then holding someone against the wall doesn't really feel aggressively romantic to me. Feels a little bit like pressure. <laughs> and uh, some people have said that, you know, the whole basis of this movie is discussing if they're human, if they're truly allowed to have the humanity because they're bioengineered. And so some people view it as like, well, Rachel's not even like a real person uh, until you reach the end of the movie where you're supposed to be like, oh, Roy Batty is showing off that we're not so different after all. I don't know. I just think the discussion on this is interesting because some people, I don't know if it's because they love the movie so much or what, but I feel like it's a little misguided to not say there's something wrong with that scene. They barely know each other. She's just learned a truth about herself that is very jarring and scary. She just killed somebody and he's essentially making her say things and holding her down. I don't know. Didn't feel, you know, look, can someone say coercion? I don't know. All I'm saying is that there probably needs to be more of an honest discussion about that scene specifically. Whether you love this movie or not, there's something wrong with that scene. And from a female's perspective, no, uh-uh, not sexy, not okay. Moving along. A lot of other stuff happens. We get to this point where Roy Batty wants to meet dad, Mr. Tyrell. Dad can't help. Dad loses eyes. And now it's kind of like the convergence of Deckard figuring things out and finding out where the last two replicants are. So he goes to the place that they're located. And the best way that I can put this, there was a gymnastics fight. Daryl Hannah, Daryl Hannah's character, Pris, essentially does a bunch of backflips and like wraps her thighs around Deckard's neck and like almost kills him with her thighs and then doesn't. And then she just runs down the other hall and he gets his gun out and shoots her. And she just starts like seizing on the ground. And I mean, the only way I can describe this, it was like a temper tantrum death. And then he just shoots her two more times and then she's um, she's dead. But throughout this movie, we get the vibe that Roy Batty and Pris kind of have a romantic relationship. He comes back, finds Pris dead. Her tongue is sticking out. So clearly the next stage is that you kiss and you push the tongue back back in with your own tongue. He kind of turns into this animalistic character. Deckard and him have a fight. They're on a roof. It's raining a lot. There's a lot of things happening. 
Jump to the end of the movie. Roy Batty essentially decides it's time for me to die and he accepts his own death and he saves Deckard from falling to his death. And it's this moment where you're supposed to go, oh my God, the humanity. Like it was wrong of us to consider them non-human. So I get I get the discussion of this movie. It's supposed to be like what constitutes being sentient and human and real. That whole philosophical discussion was not lost on me. I just think that it was executed really poorly. This movie is just another classic example of a movie that looks cool and it's a bit graphic and edgy and gritty, but it's got a weak ass story and it got popular because it looks cool. There is such a cool plot here to play with and I just feel like it was a bit wasted. Like just because something looks cool doesn't mean it deserves to be a classic. I have a favorite movie called Event Horizon. It's a pretty up horror movie but visually great love it it's not for everybody but that one's underrated but it had some cool stuff in it like this movie made sense but it was weird and i like weird stuff okay there is so much time spent on shots about like the cool sets and the lighting that rotates in its different colors that there is literally no character development or establishment i didn't care about any of them And it felt like I was watching Strangers the entire movie. And I was like, all right, it's all done. Like, I got the idea of it. I understood what they were trying to make me feel. But I felt none none of it. (laughs) Literally, no emotion from me. Except when there was things in it that I was like, ah, that's not right. Like the romantic scene that's so aggressive. I get it. I love the discussion of what makes us real. It just missed the mark for me. It didn't it didn't land. And the whole ending where Deckard's like, do you love me to Rachel? And she's like, yes. Do you trust me? And she's like, yes. And they get out of there. They just met. How can you be in love? You need time to be in love, okay? It's just movies rush that sometimes and it just didn't fit. I, they're, they're escaping. They're getting out of there. And Okay, there is Edward James almost in this and he's so young and he plays a character named Gaff. He works for the police department, I'm pretty sure, and he makes little origami that he leaves places. And at the end of the movie, when all of the replicants are dead, he somehow finds Deckard and Roy Batty on the roof. I don't know how he knew they were there. He says a line like, it's a shame she won't live. But then again, who does? So it's kind of like that, whoa, humanity kind of philosophical question. But Deckard gets back to his apartment thinking that Gaff went to go eliminate Rachel. And Deckard is getting her out and they're going to leave and they're going to go run away together. And he finds a little unicorn on the ground, which I think is supposed to insinuate like Gaff came here, but he spared her. So get out and go live your life kind of thing. But they rerun the final line. And in the scene that Gaff originally said this, it's downpouring and it's just, it was the goofiest way to end this movie. We had just seen him say that. Let the little unicorn origami speak to the, you know, for itself. Instead, they ran that line again. It's a shame she won't live. But then again, who does? And then it ends. And I started laughing. Are people mad at me? Are, who's who's mad at me? Show of hands. <laughs> It just was goofy, y'all. There's no way to, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. It was goofy, okay? We've reached the moment. I'm going to tell you all my rating. I'm not mad y'all made me watch this. I'm slightly disappointed. In theory, I should have loved this movie. On paper, looks like super badass Katie's going to be into this. No. This movie gets a 3 out of 10 aggressive lighting choices from me. 
honestly, mm, it's mostly that rating is because it's it's pretty to look at. There's not a lot of substance to this movie. I didn't feel. And so my rating just kept going down and down throughout the movie. Because like in theory, we started at 10, right? Come on, movie, show me what you got. And uh, I mean, honestly, that last line in the movie knocked it down from a solid four to a three. So there you have it. I watched Blade Runner. Some of you have said I need to watch Blade Runner 2049. Do I dare? Let me know on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay or come to my Twitch stream and tell me or demand that I watch Blade Runner 2049 at Katie Peters Plays. But first, before I go, we're doing a new segment on here where I'm going to read you a comment from one of the awesome discussions that we've had about this movie in my Discord, Katie Peters Plays. We have a channel called Katie Hasn't Seen That, where we talk about the movies that I watch and people share their thoughts, but also on my Twitter and on YouTube, I'm going to be sharing comments that some of you all have sent to me. And this comment comes from the last episode of Katie Hasn't Seen That, where I watched The Princess Bride. And this comment comes from A Tale Told, who said, Adorable movie with endless quality comedic cameos. So glad you got to see it. Inigo Montoya, deftly portrayed by Mandy Patinkin, terrific actor, had the richest backstory in the movie and was also my and probably most people's fave character. My new number one, Katie hasn't seen that. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, A Tale Told, for listening. And thank you for sharing your thoughts on A Princess Bride. I also, I have a bonus one, though. I had to share this. And I'm probably going to butcher it again. Um, But in Discord, Nabby shared, I'm going to say, I'm laughing my life away every time you say Ingo instead of Indigo. Congrats on watching a classic I apparently mispronounced uh, one of the characters' name wrong the entire podcast, but I fully own that. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. There are some more Community Choice episodes in the near future, and I cannot wait to share my thoughts with you. Until next time, stay safe, everybody, and take care of yourselves. If you want to hang out with me more, or if you just want to yell at me for my thoughts on a specific movie, I stream over on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash katiepetersplays. Also, feel free to follow and chat with me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Instagram at katiepetersplays. Music written and performed by Mark Can Do It. Katie Hasn't Seen That is a part of the Geek Generation Network. Until next time, keep your popcorn warm for me.